Good evening, dandies. Welcome to Undetermined, the podcast. Right on, man. So, just at practice, is that right? Yes, yes. So we had practice, practice tonight? tonight. Yeah, we had a uh, we we squeezed in a practice tonight. We got a uh, we uh, obviously just like most other bands, we haven't played a show in months. I mean, the last thing yeah. that we did was down in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. We did a uh, we did a we did like a like a benefit show for our good friend Dustin's mother down there. But I mean, that was right before the coronavirus thing hit, and mm-hmm. you know, of course, I'm sure I'm sure there's thousands of other people that can relate. We had a couple of tours that were in the works that basically just had to get canned on the spot because everything shut down so quick. And but we are fortunately getting ready to do a uh, it's it's kind of, it's like a fundraiser show for our friends because we're we're about an hour outside of Kansas City. And mm-hmm. right. um, our place that we always go to is obviously the Riot Room. You know, that's Tim and Dallas, you know, right. they've given us a home there for a lot of years. And we're really fortunate for that from those guys. And But we're going to do a fundraiser. The guys from uh, Gorman, Kansas City guys, did a fundraiser here. I think it was three, three, four weeks ago. And mm. we are going to do the same the, uh, next Friday, next, next, next Friday on the 9th. And so we're going to get to play a show. That's rather exciting. <laughs> right on. Nice. So, um, we're just touching up some stuff for that because you know we put out a new album called rats and compass back in april and we have been yes. able to do absolutely nothing to support it you know so right it's right. kind of weird we put it put it out right when this stuff happens so it's like so it's weird it's like this album only exists on the internet you know it's <laughs> right <laughs> a lot of people dealing with that i think right now oh yeah absolutely everyone is yeah. you know i'm like my, my heart goes out to the people that really do this stuff for a living because it's not this isn't our full-time thing you know it's just our band on the side and mm-hmm. there's a lot of lot of bands and a lot of venues are really hurting and stuff so if we can help help the guys out and make sure that the right room stays home we can't go anywhere that's our home you know yeah yeah well i bought uh your record uh your album today um it's man that the vinyl pressing is beautiful um, oh, is it a very dark way? Yeah, it's cool. It's it's like one of the coolest pressings I've seen with like the silver and the, you know, I don't know, kind of looks like daggers or something coming out all from the center and nice. Um, yeah, and and it's silver and clear, right? And then yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it looks awesome. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Now, as far as the ones that we have, we have some that are the so Willow Tip Records, our record label. You know, they sent uh-huh. us. They sent us some of the clear ones that I'm, I'm, I can't even really remember exactly what that type of vinyl print is called. Um, uh-huh. But some of the clear ones with like the, the gray and the black in them, we have some of those. And they yeah. also sent us some that were an array of different green colors, which was also kind of cool because it's like a color clash with all the black and white. Uh-huh. Um, but we uh, have a couple of cool. different types there, but I really like the ones that those gray ones are awesome. Yeah, they look they look sick. Um, it, well, you know, I got my name on it, so I don't know if you see it come through the uh, the line. Maybe you can just pick out a good one for me. I'll oh, trust your judgment. That, if, if that's the one you want, and of course, I can I can get with you and send you a picture. We have, I mean, you can you can get stuff through Willow Tip as well. But we actually, you know, I I'm a, I actually Clint, you know, the other guitar player, he's my boss. Mm-hmm. Clint Clint and I oh, work okay. together. He Clint runs a company called Reliant Apparel, and I'm his production manager so yeah you guys like do merch and stuff and yeah everything like printing and stuff yeah we 
we do a lot of we do all of Willow Tips stuff. So it was kind of weird to print our own merchandise and then ship it to them. <laughs> and, <laughs> that would be. But but we also print our own and we keep our merchandise a little bit different than theirs so that we're not selling the same thing and like doing competition uh -huh. kind of thing. So anything that you get directly from us is handmade by us, packed and shipped. And I'm usually Clint gives me the tickets and then I'll be the one to put them together. But it comes directly from me. My our DNA is on this stuff, you know. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's nice. We, it's cool to like keep it real that way, you know. Keep it real. Uh, keep it, you know, very uh, family oriented type, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> hey, before we get too far. Yeah, I introduce you. I want to do that because it seems like we're jumping into a fast conversation. So we are speaking with Justin Payne, unmerciful guitarist. Yeah. Man, outstanding band. I'm, I'm so glad I was turned on to you. Kelly Bowers uh, uh, turned me on to your stuff and she, she does some of your merch design work. Oh, she's the best. Yeah. But man, I was, I was blown away. So I, you know, hate the idea of like defining bands or anything else would you classify yourselves as death metal black metal how do you uh how do you sell the potatoes we i mean we just can it's kind of funny whenever you see sometimes people will have these big descriptions of what their band sounds like right and i think our description online is just called death metal from kansas i mean I, I guess it just is what it is maybe we just don't think too much into it but it's just i know one not this last album but the album we did before mm -hmm. it's called ravenous impulse and uh, our producer named robert rebeck he he had a he had about the best thing that clint and i had ever heard he said that you guys are like classic death metal with modern speed nice mm. and yeah, i thought I see that that's that's about as perfect as it gets i think because i mean it's just it, it's just we just consider it death metal you know right yeah i mean and not necessarily any clean singing um but no you know, <laughs> no not at all no we uh, haven't got I, there but yet. i love that shit yeah no i don't think you need to no, um I, right. wouldn't, I don't think it's the move uh I, I love everything i'm hearing man and it's it's so geez so well orchestrated and and, and well put together i mean how, how long have you been playing a guitar um i've been playing guitars seriously since i was about 13 and i'm 37 now Mm -hmm. So it's it's been a few years, you know, about twenty four years. Mm. Oh wow! Well, it sounds like you haven't slept since you pick one up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I hear guitar players like you, and I and I, I fiddle around with one. And just like in some way, I, I really love hearing it, but it's so discouraging. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and to shred that guitar. <laughs> thank, thank you guys. I really appreciate that, and I know what you mean. I, I, I feel the same way. There's so much. I mean, I hate to call it competition because I don't see it that way, but right. I mean, extreme music has never been as good as it is now because I mean, it's, it's crazy, you know, growing up, I think, oh man, this guy, this guy's insane. He can play obituary riffs. And now these younger kids, they grew up playing along to ne you know, necrophagist and things like right. that. And I, I see what they're playing. I'm like, Jesus, these guys are insane. You know? Right. It's just that crazy, super technical stuff. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We can do it too, but. It's just, uh, it's, uh, you know, you see a kid that's 11 years old and like, Jesus, I wasn't that good till I was 29, you know? And right. hey, you know, hats off to them. They're, they're carrying the torch and I'm proud to see it. I really am. Yeah. I, I think there's something to the like evolution in anything, really. If people, there, there's almost like something that just kind of is absorbed once it's been out there long enough, if that makes any sense. 
Yeah. Oh, most definitely. And it's a stair step of technicality, you know? I mean, once upon a time, it was hard for me to play Black Sabbath riffs. Right. And you just, you just keep practicing and get a little better and better and better, and things get a little bit more intense. And then, you know, it's like, hell, every, everybody, I love Iron Maiden, I love Judas Priest, but it's like, it's got to be faster, it's got to be heavier, you know? Mm-hmm. And just really push push the limits of that, and yeah, I guess we are what we are now with just the most ex- extreme of extreme music there is out there, you know. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad that I'm very very happy to be part of it. Well, and, and the thing I've enjoyed about listening to it too is just not it's not just extreme for the sake of being extreme. It's it's very it's technically good. Um, you know, it's it's it really good. Everything that I've heard, but man, you got any tips and tricks or anything for getting that goddamn fast? Because is it just grinding it out? I mean, is it just doing it every day? And well, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, I I know I'm going to tell on myself here. I don't necessarily practice uh-huh. every day. Okay. Um. I I mean, I don't know. As far as speed, funny enough, I had posted something online a while back because you know most of my friends are musicians and into heavy metal and stuff. And I was asking, like, hey, what do you guys have for tips? You know, among my friends list here about like like speed increasing and things like that and i never really got any definite answers a bunch of my friends just kind of made fun of me and they were like you mean to tell me the guy from unmerciful is asking tips about speed (laughs) (laughs) i i I never really got an answer from anyone and i mean other than just just you know rigorous practice and things like that it's just the thing but when it comes to music that's super extreme that just never lets up it's more or less tapping into a nerve i suppose you know yeah. You know, once you get good at chugging away at those 16th notes, then you just kind of tap into that nerve and you can do it all day long, you know? Yeah, kind of a, a point that just kind of breaks loose for you. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah most definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you, you, not that I don't focus when I play, but it almost gets to the point where like you do it enough and you can almost autopilot yourself. Hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Which you kind of have to do because I like to move around and headbang and have a lot of fun and stuff like that. I don't want to just yeah. stand there and watch myself play because, you know, you, I mean, you're, it's an aspect of entertainment. People are there to see a show, not just see a guy play a guitar, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't know how many death metal shows I've been to where like the lights are full on in the other, just so they can see the fretboard. <laughs> you know? oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> and just sometimes on a stool, you know, and it's like, yeah, there's a line there, man. You got to find the middle ground. Yeah, most definitely. Between being technical and being, you know, and fucking having a good time and, and looking like you're having fun up there. It's a give and take avenue, you know. I mean, if, you, if you're up there and if you're not delivering and you're not giving the crowd energy, they're not going to be able to give you energy back. You know, it's yin and yangs. Right. So it's like you have to you have to move about. You got to get get down, scream, yell, and, you know, get in people's face if they're up there by the stage. And, you know, in, in between, you know, give them high fives or, you know, give them a beer or something. Right. Uh, just gotta, gotta, you have to, you have to connect or people are not going to feel like they're part of something there, you know? And I, I'll disagree and agree at the same time. And just saying, I I think it's about being authentic with people all the time. Like if you're, if that's your personality, then go with that. If your personality is, Hey guys, you know, just kind of have a casual conversation, right? You're probably not going to be doing death metal, but right. (laughs) <laughs> oh you'd be surprised man i saw some of their live shit <laughs> it's like you guys do I, one thing i appreciate too is just the kind of tongue-in-cheek or or you know because it is i mean a little bit of joking on stage and and things like that it made me smile yeah um, yeah absolutely so you're not it's, taking yourselves too seriously sure and that's i i think that's important too you know i mean and that's where i don't know maybe that's where a lot of like maybe attitude and stuff comes from people that are in music sometimes where like you meet them and there's like, they act like 
you're lucky to be talking to them or something like that. Yeah, we're not, we're right. not like that at all. Like we've joked for years that we're like the good old boys of death metal. Cause I mean, think about it. We're from, <laughs> we're from the middle of the country and you know I mean? Hell you take a 20 minute drive outside of where we live and people wave at each other on the road, on the dirt roads and stuff, yeah. you know, but we're just, we're, we're, we're friendly people. We really are. All of us are. And yeah. so it's like, you, know, you were talking about the casual conversation stuff. It's like, it's, it's refreshing when you, meet someone that you really look up to and then you start having a conversation about, you know, how you like to cook your steak or just something, right, whatever, yeah. whatever it might be. It's, it's nice. And, and as, as someone who's, you know, toured a lot over the years and stuff, it's nice to have just a normal conversation where you're not talking about music sometimes on the road. Don't get me wrong. I love heavy metal and I'll talk about it all day long, but right. it's, it's nice when people come up and say, Hey, you know, I, you know, my son's the same age as yours. What's his, you know, like what, what's his name and things like that. They see the pictures online and it's just, it's just a nice, it makes you feel home again when you've been gone for a long time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How long are you out when you go out back in the olden days? Typically we have never really done any tours that were any longer than say like four or five weeks. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know that there's been times in the past where we would do, you know, a run in the States and get back and be back for a week or two and then leave again and mm -hmm. be gone for five and a half weeks and go up into Canada and then back in the States and stuff. And I mean, I know, you know, oh, European tours don't typically be, they're not typically that long. I think they've been more along the lines of like three weeks and that includes travel, obviously. So yeah, skim off a couple of days and a number of time zones with that. Mm -hmm. And But yeah, we're not, I mean, we're not like, fucking metallica or something you know right. it's like gone for th two or three years at a time that would be uh, that would be <laughs> difficult it would that would be very difficult but a month man or more that's still a lot of time away from home yeah oh yeah it most definitely is you know and i mean and we've we've got lucky before where we've got the opportunity to cross through because you know i mean we're right in the middle of the country obviously so uh -huh. we've got lucky where we would be, you know, have a day or two off and we could come home and see family and stuff like that. And then we would have to jump right back in the van and be out of here, and especially in the States. Cause you know, we have our own van and we drive ourselves and stuff. So it's kind of at your discretion. You don't have to worry about a bus driver and, Oh, you have to be back on the bus at this time. And we're stopping here at this time and showers are this time. And yeah, you know, things like that. A uh, little bit more freedom. You know, if you're in Las Vegas and you decide, Hey, let's go see Hoover Dam or something. You can do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but you know, but yeah, I know a month. It's you know that that's it's a it's a good ways away, and we don't tour like we used to. Well, obviously, we don't tour at all right yeah, now. Nobody <laughs> <does>. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, we we try to we try to keep it to a minimum anymore. You know, it's like we could do if we could do three weeks, that would be nice. But if we get an opportunity to do something that's a little bit bigger, we have to take it. You know. Yeah. So in the before times um bc before covid yeah <laughs> what were what were some of your i mean highlights you think of touring or, or shows that you played anything else like that that you were just like you know i'm doing this you know um i can think of one instance when it first really hit me i remember uh -huh. so so i joined unmerciful in 2007 okay and okay i i did I think two or three shows. And then we went on tour within like a month, maybe something like that. Mm. And we went on tour with vital remains. Okay. And, uh, which what I thought was a huge deal. Cause I'm a huge Suzuki fan. Dave Suzuki's amazing. And he turned out to be just yeah. the greatest guy in the world too, which was awesome. Oh, cool. I remember, like I said, I'd only had like two or three shows in with these guys and then we hit the road. And there was a point where we were, we started in, 
around Richmond, Virginia, I believe, and then went south. And I think, you know, four or five shows in, we were in Tampa, mm-hmm. obviously one of the homes of death metal. Mm-hmm. And I was up there doing a sound check and I looked down in the crowd and there was Eric Rutan was there. <sighs> James, James Murphy was there. Wow. Who Alex Alex Webster, Pat from Cannibal Corpse, Gene from Angel mm-hmm. Corpse was wow. there. And I was oh, like, shit. oh, come on. Like <laughs> Not intimidating at all. It's like, yeah. no, these guys can't watch me play, man. Holy shit. Oh. And and uh but we, you know, we opened in fact there at that there was a band also called The Absence that was on that tour. And they ended up having to drop off like a handful of dates in. <sighs> But those guys were still there at that point too, and I remember look, look, looking down and seeing those guys, and I'm thinking, "Oh man, I'm, 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 I'm going to freeze up tonight. I am." But <laughs> right. we played, we had a good show, and when it was said and done, all those guys were just so awesome. They're like, "Hey man, you know, good job, kiddo. Let me come buy you a beer." And I took pictures oh, with no. them and stuff, and it was like that was one of those. That was probably the first moment that I was like, "Wow, this is this is it. I can't believe I'm hanging out with these guys." Yeah. Right. And they were just so receptive and so, so cool. You know, they were all just such nice guys. And I had met some of them at that point before, but it was at a show and I'm just, you know, kid, hey, was on my CD. You know, I didn't. Right. You're you're a fan. Yeah, definitely. And of course, I've seen those guys a number of times since then. And another one that was a really big deal was so we played the Neurotic Death Fest in 2008 in Tilburg in Holland. Ah, uh, yeah. And I I kind of had my dates mixed up and I didn't realize it was that day. Mm-hmm. And we kind of crawled out of the bus and we walked into this big convention center. And it was funny because the first person I saw there was John Longstreth from Origin, uh, who's from this area. Hmm. And he's like, he's like, what are you doing here? And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm still kind of waking up. And I, and I was like, I mean, I don't, what are you doing here? And he's like, you're playing tonight, buddy. You better get your stuff oh, ready, shit. you know? Because he, he could tell that I was still waking up and still kind of disoriented. And mm-hmm. the next thing I know, we're going down to our backstage and we're, we're bound backstage, like a few doors down from the guys from Behemoth and the guys from Cephalic Carnage. <sighs> and I'm like, whoa, I need to get it together. Okay. So, yeah. We ended up playing this, the relapse stage, which I don't know. There was like, I don't know, several hundred people in that room or something. It was cool because we got to play. We played with Origin that mm. night, and which was really awesome because those guys, you know, there's a big history with Origin between us and those guys. And, mm-hmm. But we played that stage. And before we had to play later that evening, I actually walked up this stairway and I, had to, I jumped up this big gate. Mm. And up on the bit, there was a balcony. I don't know how many seats. I mean, like I said, it was like a theater. This place was huge. And I got to hang out and watch Hate Eternal sound check with the song uh tom view from they were in, in support of uh fury and flames at that time and sean sean kelly was still with them mm-hmm. and i got to see them sound check and then that night they got up and they just absolutely annihilated that place mm-hmm. like it it was probably the best death metal performance i've ever seen in my life and i got to hang out with eric afterwards in his bus and the first thing I said to him was like, man, you sounded absolutely inhuman. <laughs> yeah. He was still super, he was all pumped up. And he's like, man, I felt inhuman. <laughs> I mean, he's still sweaty from the stage. But I, me, Clint and I were just standing there watching them in absolute awe because they were so, so good that night. Probably the best death metal performance I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Nice. How did you guys, how did all of you uh, uh, hook up then in a place like Topeka and did you go to high school together? Do you, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, I know, I know you joined later. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But yeah. How did you, uh, how did you hook up with those guys? 
so how I ended up with them is I've actually known Clint since I was like 13 because he gave my other good friend, Clint Lutjohn, who was the bass player in my old original band, Foundation's Edge. Mm. Um, he gave him bass lessons when we were teenagers. Huh. And he, he took lessons from him. We're like, whoa, holy shit, dude. You have a fucking, you have a fucking, this is, this is, this is fucking Clint from, you know, he eventually, <laughs> right. you know, was an original bass player of origin. Uh -huh. And it was just the coolest damn thing that we got somebody who's like a metalhead teaching my buddy what we want him to how to play. Right. It's so legit. So yeah. I've known Clint that long. And of course, I, I later got to know James King, who we had been friends for a number of years. And he used to bug me about jamming. Like, dude, come on, let's get something going. And I was like, man, you know, I work 65 hours a week. I don't have time for a band anymore kind of thing other than just jamming with friends and stuff. Right. But eventually, when uh, Jeremy decided to step out for a while, uh, the guys, we used to hang out at this place called The Static. It was owned by my buddy Joey Pintosi. It's a really awesome place. God, they had Nile there. They had Dying Fetus mm. there. Lots, lots of awesome shows. But they used to see me up there. And Clint one time told me, <laughs> we still joke about this, but he, you know, he saw me in there and he, you know, I've, you know, bought a beer. He was bartending and stuff. And he was like, hey, man, so, you know, we're looking for another guitar player. King's been talking about you. And I remember you from years back, man. He's, and he said, quote, to me, he's like, everybody says you're the best kept secret in this area. Why don't you come fucking prove it? Nice. <laughs> so we hooked up and I went and tried out and uh, that I loaded my gear up when I was done because I never tried out for a band. I didn't really know what to expect. And they called me before I got back home and were like, hey, man, do you want to go out and, you know, grab a beer with us and let's talk? And I was like, yeah, no problem. So I spun my stuff back home and then met them at this place called Spanky's where James worked at, at the time. And uh, it was like a sports bar. And we walked in and they were slapping me with high fives. I'm like, man, you're fucking in, dude. Let's do this. So it was pretty cool. That's my only that's my only ever experience of trying out from a band. And apparently I did good. So here we are, you know, a better part of 15 years later, still chugging away at it. Hmm. Wow. Also, to get back to some of that technical stuff, uh, uh, your gear. Kelly sent me this uh, uh, picture of your uh, Iron Bird, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's like she said yeah oh, it's yes, like your favorite yes. piece of gear oh that's that that yeah <laughs> what do you like to play on what's your uh favorite uh axe that is my favorite guitar person yeah that iron bird so you know it's like i mean iron birds are just you know the most metal fucking thing yeah. ever you know i think and of course i've always loved them because i'm a huge morbid angel fan i'm a huge mm -hmm. hate eternal fan Trey and Eric both used them, and I just always think they were just the most beautiful thing ever. And this one I got really lucky with. So I don't know if you're familiar with the band Gorgatron. I don't know them. I'm not, no. So they're friends of ours from up in Fargo. They put out recently, just here within the last, you know, a little over a month ago, I guess, an album called Pathogenic Automation, which I think is, that's my, that's my album of the year. Okay. And we've been friends with these guys for a good number of years, and their singer Carl is actually the one that did Wrath and Company. Huh. We had an unfortunate party with our with our old vocalist Chris, and Carl had done tours with us and stuff in the past that was unable to be met by Chris because of you know home responsibilities and things. So we knew him well, knew he would do a great job, and we asked him to do the album, and he did an amazing job. So anyway, one of the times while we were on tour with Carl, we were talking about dream guitars and stuff, and I was talking about how '80s Ironbirds are so hard to find. Yeah. And he and he told me, huh, that's weird. You know, Paul has one of those that he never plays. Uh -huh. So my ears just perked right, right. up. Like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's let's talk about this, okay? <laughs> yeah. 
So I talked to Paul about it and he was like, yeah, I'm willing to part with it. And I ended up buying it from him. And it's like, cause eighties models are difficult to find. And we pinned it down. I believe it's a 1984 model. And I, I just got super lucky with it and I cannot thank him enough. He, we talk about it all the time and he's like, I can't get over how much you still talk about that damn guitar, you know, going <laughs> on three years later, yeah. but that, yeah, hands down, that is my favorite guitar that I've ever owned in my life. And I'm going to have more. And I'm going to have more stage guitars and stuff, but that one will always be like the one. All right. Oh, no, it's a beaut. Yeah, I saw it. It's a, it's a nice looking ring. I've got, I've got an Explorer. It's a, it's an Epiphone Explorer, but it's a, like a pro one. It's a, it's my most metal looking guitar. Um, <laughs> but it's not, probably not my most metal playing guitar. But boy, it looks good. Uh oh. Hey, everybody. Uh, just wanted to give you a heads up that, uh, I apologize to all the ladies who were just hanging on to this episode from Matt's uh, voice and gushing over that, but he had to boogie. I had to get back to work, but uh, we're going to keep talking, man. Justin Payne, glad to have you back on. Sorry about the uh, gremlins. Oh, no problem at all, man. It, it happens. Technology is a pain in the ass sometimes, you know? Yes, it is. Well, and you know, man, these days, everybody is... Like we were talking about, just they're hogging so much bandwidth everywhere. I'm sure, you know, doing very important things, but ours is more important. (laughs) (laughs) Most definitely. (laughs) Right. I sit here, you know, bullshit online about music. But we're back. So uh, we were talking about, well, we talked a little bit about gear. We talked about your guitar. Um, I was going to ask you, too, about... Like, is there a, a particular tuning or anything that you normally run with? Or do you have to, like, switch around? Or? Well, um, unmerciful-wise, we, uh, we tune to drop B, which is just C-sharp standard. And then, you know, your low string top, you know, drop to B. Uh-huh. And we do that for the chunky stuff. It's a little bit easier to do with bars rather than it is, like, power chord. Right. But that that's our... That's our uh, across the board tuning with the exception of one song we did one song lower on the ravenous impulse album it was a song of jeremy's that was really awesome called methodic absolution Mm -hmm. and we tuned that one to standard low a and that was a song that we were never going to do live we haven't done yet i mean perhaps we will one of these days but that was just a studio song and uh it's really really dark like seven time signature changes right but he wrote it low, so we recorded it low. Uh, my good friend John Mills actually lent us his ESPV to record that song with because none of us even had seven strings at the time. We decided to do that song. Oh, yeah. You know, we did it as like the last track on that album because we really wanted it out there. Uh-huh. So, you know, thank, thank you, my good friend John, my dear friend, for that once again. And uh, But other than that, nope, drop B, that's what we do. Typical drop B. Funny... I know that I personally, and I know we we actually, Clint has done this as well, uh, we write songs in standard C-sharp tuning, but then just transcribe them down to play them, within, play them with bars instead of chords, you know? Oh, wow. That sounds like a pain in the ass. It, you know, and, and it, but it actually, <laughs> it really does work. I know I, I had a song on the new album called Blazing Hatred that uh-huh. I wrote in standard, and... It actually is a lot easier in drop, fortunately. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. But, but you know, I, I like standard tuning. I mean, I, I have a few guitars that are in, like, standard E. Like, I, 
I uh, this is something kind of cool. I won a guitar some while back in a Randy Rhodes solo contest. No shit. Yeah, man. Uh, so my good friend R.J. Soldani at Supersonic Music here in Topeka, he hosted a Randy Rhodes solo contest, huh. and I uh, I entered with this random video that I had recorded one day when I came home from work. Funny enough, on my son's little Ibanez like micro guitar. Right. I had just changed the strings, and I heard "Flying High" again on the radio, and I was like, "Hey, I think I remember that solo." Uh-huh. I just threw my cell phone up on the entertainment center and recorded myself playing it along to the song on the radio. Huh. That the, he was like, "Hey, man, submit that one solo, dude. That shit was ripping, dude. It was really, really good." And I ended up winning the contest, which I was really surprised by because I'm really not that great of a lead guitar player. But <laughs> I was going to win a Randy Rose, like a Rhodes V, out of it, and there ended up being a neck. A neck issue. He had to send it back to Jackson. So I got a white mm. Jackson Warrior. It's a beautiful guitar. I love it. Oh wow! So that's the one that I keep in standard E whenever I'm bored. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna play along to all the Master of Puppets or all of Rustin Peters <laughs> right? or something. You know? But I'm I just like, I just the the feeling of playing in standard E from the old thrash days, from the kind of stuff that I grew up learning how to play. It's it's a nice uh, bit of nostalgia, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how you learn, you know, essentially. Yeah. So th- that's a, that's a big thing that I have issue with changing tunings. Well, I mean, I'm not that, I'm not that good anyway. I've got, I think I've got way too many guitars for my ability. That's what I, <laughs> I just, I keep buying them. I, I buy cheap ones though. And I usually buy like the knockoff versions of, of, you know, like I'll buy the Epiphone as opposed to the Gibson. I, I'm not fucking touring anyway. What do I care? <laughs> you know? You know, the thing about it, John, is like, I mean, I, I know that good gear helps like really expensive stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to tell you, my man, Tone is in the hands. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, you could, you could give, you could give Tony Iommi the biggest piece of shit guitar you've ever seen in your life, but it's still right. sound like Tony Iommi. Yeah. I mean, what's the old saying? A carpenter always blame or a bad carpenter always blames his tools. Oh, no, most definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw that thing. It was kind of funny that uh, a couple of guys, I think they were in Texas, like did this uh, video, viral video, went around like a couple of years ago where they were playing Pride and Joy uh, in a Walmart with a, uh, you know, a kid's guitar, like a, a fucking like Lightning McQueen. Uh, <laughs> little. <laughs> so, I mean, they nailed it, you know, but you can tell they've been playing that song like forever, you know. Yeah, but just tune it up a little you know, a little fishing line string, uh, you know, little like toddler's guitar. And yeah. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. That's a great example. It is. But, you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely, I think I've been playing long enough to know that like, there's, there's definitely different sounds for different bodies and stocks and, and, you know, and fretboards and everything else like that. So. Oh, most definitely. I more or less just collect them as like, they're just beautiful objects to me, you know? Yeah. They really are. I mean, like, I'm not really a gearhead, per se, by any means at all. Right. But I, I do love guitars. Like, I love I love brand new, beautiful, custom-made guitars, and I love old, beat-up pieces of shit. hmm I just love guitars. I just do, you know? Yeah. It, it, the thing, too, is that they're, like, they're somewhere between art and utility, you know, that's important. It's not just frivolous, you know, it, it not just something just like an abstract painting that's just to make you feel something, but they, they serve a purpose. And to do that in a way that, you know, and since music is so artistic at its core, you got these objects that are just, man, it's so weird. They, you know, it, I think really guitars are one of the one of the greatest tools that separate us 
from the monkeys. <laughs> you know, more so than the space shuttle, I think. The space shuttle is like totally utilitarian, right? Yeah. Yeah. But a guitar, not so much. You know, a lot of art in there. Well, and the fact that you can you can hand a guitar to so many multiple millions of people that have existed over the course since its creation, yeah. and every single one of them are going to interpret it differently. Mm-hmm. It's unreal. Like, I mean, you look at, you know, you have you have someone like BB King, or uh, you know, someone like uh, I'll name anybody. Uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen, or yeah, yeah, you know, James Murphy, or somebody. Every single one of those people write considerably different music with the same exact tool. If that's not versatility, then I don't know what is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a crazy thing to think about everything from, you know, Mississippi to the sunset strip or, or even, you know, we were talking to one of the guys from the blood daubers who I cannot name names. <laughs> it was just talking about like a East African funk music and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's weird how cultures really influence those things. Oh, absolutely. And it's really cool when you see people that are from one genre that branch out and do those things. We were just listening to, God damn, what the, what the hell was it called? I think it's called Planetary Planetary Complications. Something. It, it was it was Alex Skolnick of Testament. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He he did an album here a handful of years back where he traveled, and I mean he's not the first one to do this, but it was done very very well. Mm-hmm. Where he went and he created music with all of these different people and these these beautiful people and these beautiful cultures. Wow. Here he is, the guy that was the shredder for Testament, and then of course he did the uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra thing for a number of years. But uh-huh. this, this guy's a Bay Area shredder, and here he is doing this beautiful music with these beautiful people in their own environment, and you would never even know it was him by hearing it. I mean, that's just yeah. it's it's absolutely mind blowing. Like, goddamn, I wish I was that good. I would love to do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it when musicians like challenge themselves that way, you know, yeah. and step outside of the box. I mean, there's so many opportunities for learning anything when you just step outside of the box and you try to do something that, you know, may not fit your jive, but it's just a challenge to you. So, I mean, where does that come in in your culture then? I mean, a lot of people don't have a lot of associations with Topeka and death metal. <laughs> Those things usually don't go hand in hand. I mean, you know, just start off typically like a, a Sabbath head and, Old rock, and then eventually discovered uh, that stuff. Or well, um, I guess going way back to just in introductions to music in general, I'd have to credit that to my lovely mother, Sandy. Mm. She was, you know, my mom. She, you know, always listened to to, to soul. <clears throat> yeah, she loved Motown and things like that. And like, and I even credit that to her. Like when I play something, yeah, maybe it's super super mean, but you know what? I fucking mean it, and I play it with every bit of my soul. Right. That's that's maybe maybe that's why my songs are mean. I don't know. It's like <laughs> very different emotion there, obviously, but <laughs> sure. And luckily my parents, they had a lot of old vinyls and stuff. And of course they kind of, you know, grew up and moved on to different types of music and stuff, but they didn't mind if I snatched on their vinyls like, oh wow, man, wow, this Molly Hatchet album, this Black Sabbath album, this Led Zeppelin album, this looks cool. I'm gonna check this out, you know, put it on the turntable and yeah. That's what really got me into that stuff and then you uh, eventually find Metallica, and then you find Slayer, and then you find, you know, like Morbid Angel, and you know, you just want to, you know, snowball from there. Yeah, I guess that's how it, how it kind of typically happens. I mean, you mentioned the Bay too. We've got a lot of uh, people who've been on from the Bay Area. I think that was a big thing for me too for for getting into death metal, or at least uh, the West Coast. 
So just everybody else in the band, they were uh, uh, like-minded uh, or came from the same backgrounds, you think, or anything that strikes you as out of the ordinary for what they listen to? Or Oh, I mean, not necessarily. No, we all have a lot of very similar tastes. And of course, we prefer metal over other things. But I know, yeah. for instance, Clint and I are huge Rush fans. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, like technicality. I mean, you talk about the people that really blew everyone's minds. I mean, especially from a three-piece. Um, yeah, Rush, those guys. I know, I know Neil. You know, rest in peace to that man. <clears throat> he gets a lot of credit and stuff like that, and they get credit as as a whole. But whenever I see like people talk about the greatest bass players that ever lived, I I see a lack of Getty Lee in there, which is not yeah. fair because Getty is unbelievably good. Oh yeah. Same with Alex Liveson. I mean, that man, yeah. I'm pretty sure that most of the chords that he plays did not even exist before his time. That guy is unbelievably calculated. I, some of the chords, I mean, I'm just learning Rush. Rush is a very frustrating band to try to mimic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got some good friends here who are heavily influenced by them. The Many Colored Death, I don't know if you're familiar with them um, out of Columbia here, but a, a good man. Not, not necessarily a death metal band. Oh, yes, yes, I am familiar with them, actually, yes. Yeah, yes, good guys. Very influenced by uh, Rush. We'll talk about that, <laughs> the technicality of it. But yeah, man, I mean, Getty Lee and taking the lead on that, too. I can't believe how long it took for those guys to get in the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Of course, it's kind of a joke. I uh, sh- Sure, I know it, it should be a lot more well-represented than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, it is what it is, but it's still, it's, it's bullshit is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, preach. No, I, I hear you. Yeah. You have bands like ABBA. Yeah. Madonna. So what is rock and roll? You know, is it a genre? Is it a, is it an art form? Is it, you know, it's really kind of hard to define. Yeah. I, I think that's the one thing that they struggle with. And I think they push themselves so far through the door that they, they can't come back to really defining it. And I think that's where they just get frustrated is they yeah. overthink it, you know? Yeah. 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 I agree with that. I mean, if you're going to respect it from the Beatles and you're, and you're going to respect it from the who or, or anybody else, and you have to put it, you know, even when it's glam rock or even when it is just kind of branding or it, it, that's all part of it though, isn't it? I mean, well, yeah. it's, it's appealing. To, it's appealing to culture. It's appealing to, and, and like I say, the term pop just refers to popular. Yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily just beats and drums and singing and stuff. It's not, it's like, exactly. Like you, thank you so much for saying that, John. It's not, it's not a genre. It's like, it's like a, it's like, it's like an aspect of vocabulary. Right. And I mean, we don't necessarily know why things are popular for some reasons. I mean, shit, we we can go back through any trend, you know, cabbage patch dolls. I don't know. Scrunchies. Why? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's there's some pretty ridiculous things. (laughs) Like it is. The United States yeah. has some pretty ridiculous things that are popular, but hey, I mean, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, the other, you know, we talk to a lot of people from all over the world, and they're just like, we eat that shit up, man. We just can't wait for the next thing. You know, we, we talk to people from the UK anyway, and you know, Australia, and it, a lot of the men's just like, we can't wait for the next fucking thing. It's bizarre, but we can't wait for the next thing to come out of America that we can consume. Yeah. You know whether it's your blue jeans or, or just some crazy act or anything. And it's like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> tickle me Elmo or uh, <laughs> right. Like, uh, I know that, uh, there was something that made me laugh a while back. Uh, the fidget spinners. 
Yeah. Remember the fidget yep. spinners? My son was all yeah. into that. You know, like I said, he, he just I was too, man. I love those. It's like an anxiety tool, you know? Yeah, and, it is. But every every parent that was making fun of the fidget spinners were also the parents that spent all their money on pogs. Right. Like pogs? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Pogs? You hit pieces of cardboard yeah. to knock them over? Like, how, how did that even become a thing? <laughs> right Those and, and you know them. yeah the guy that invented the pogs he's he's living in a mansion in beverly hills right next door to the oh, asshole yeah. that invented the tap you know like <laughs> right? like he's laughing all the way to the fucking bank right <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny our like lizard brain or like monkey brain just goes back to shit like that and i thought i i enjoyed the fidget spinners i like just like the way they felt like a sensory kind of thing and like matt did too and it's like i can remember like handing one to like his wife and i was like just feel how this thing wiggles like how it feels in your fingers you know she's like and then she's like yeah i just don't fucking get it <laughs> she's like it's just not my thing and you know in that moment i was just like i can see that <laughs> you know but it was all you know focused on this part of our brain that we don't really even understand but it's popular you know well and the thing is, is i mean comfort comes in so many different levels john it really does I oh mean, yeah sometimes yeah. it takes some people something big it takes other people something little I, you know like you know we were talking about rush recently and, and uh i think one of the most beautiful things that i've ever heard was uh an interview with neil after he had lost his family and mm. he ended up taking off on his motorcycle and he uh, said that all he wanted to do was be a guy reading a book in a coffee shop. And that's all he was for all that time when yeah. he was gone. And uh, they asked him, you know, why did you feel the need to do that? And he said, well, you know, it was kind of like, uh, it's kind of like when you rock a baby. Yeah. Um, sometimes all you need is motion, motion for comfort. Mm. And I thought yeah. that was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever heard. Cause Neil was yeah. an absolute brilliant mind. You know, he was a brilliant man and a good man. Yeah, such a loss. It's such a shame to have lost him and, you know, influenced so many people. And, uh, God, yeah, an amazing drummer on top of all that. Well, and he was so humble about it, too. That, that guy was, yeah. he was just, it was, he was inhuman how humble he was because here he is, you know, arguably the best that has ever done it. But he acts like he doesn't even know it. Right. Well, I mean, I guess after a while, you do get removed. You get removed almost from yourself, even. You know, uh, when you just become something that transcends pop culture or something that transcends everything that we know. And, uh, but yeah, that's gotta be a strange way to live, you know, with that much fame or that much, uh, and even that much talent. Well, and especially on top of that, trying to be a very reserved, a very quiet person as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, even like I know it's like a radio song, but even like the the line, the song "Limelight." I mean, mm -hmm. that like those, even those lyrics are just so absolutely brilliant. You know, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. You, you could turn on a radio anywhere right now and listen to a rock station in any given city and hear that song, but I I don't think people even really understand the magnitude of that song. Yeah, you know, it's not not like they're trying to downplay it or trying to chastise it by any means, but it's it's just like a it's a very realistic song. Right. Oh, Matt's going to be remiss that he, he missed this conversation. He's oh, man, you know what? You just tell Matt, we can, we can talk another time, and we can talk about Rush, okay? Cause I love oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. We, yeah. We'll, we'll have you on. I, I kind of like knocking these out, like these uh, uh, first interview or these first shows that are kind of interviewee, you know, and then we can just come back on and bullshit. Those, those are the best episodes to me. Those are the most fun. Oh, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I mean, they were such, Rush was just such a driving force that it, 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 you know, a lot of the stuff that we get off the radio was just, you know, popular sounding songs but it's it's only because they had such a massive catalog they could do anything they wanted you know and that's where we get songs like you know working man or or tom sawyer you know we don't uh god we forget about everything else they did that was so progressive and so amazing yeah and they have a lot of overlooked albums they really do absolutely i know they get a lot of shit for like the 80s stuff and whatnot and Mm -hmm. and this the electronic kind of thing. But the thing is, is they were playing that. It wasn't like it was programmed in. Those guys were that good. Yeah. That's what I really loved about the uh, Test for Echo album. I remember when that album came out, my good friend, Justin McDaniel, uh, back when we were in like seventh grade or something, um, his mom was a big Rush fan. And she took us to buy the Super Nintendo game, Killer Instinct, right when it came yeah. out. Yeah. And huh. she did not know that she did not know Tess for Echo was out. It was in like one of those stands in like Kmart or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was like, wow, I didn't know that. And she bought a CD, which were like pretty damn cool and new back then. Right. And then I remember playing Killer Instinct and I immediately fell in love with Full Gore. He was my favorite character. Yeah. And we here we are like sucking at this game because we just first played it. But she was <laughs> she was cranking that album up. And uh I, I found out later, you know, years later when I really got into Rush, like I said, I was a kid then, and uh, how Alex had come to the band. We're like, okay, we've done the electronic stuff enough. I want a really hard rocking guitar driven album. <laughs> and Test for Echo is what we got because of that. Right. I mean, just like even the song, like driven, like, nano, no, nano, no, nano, no, nano, no, nano, no, no, That song rocks, man. Yeah, it does. And I mean, that's, and the funny thing is too, is just with the way they were experimenting and playing, I can remember an interview with Getty just talking about different songs and different hit rock songs. And he was like, I was often like really amazed or impressed. People were like, oh, that's, you know, that's a hit. He was like, really? Whatever. <laughs> He's like, eh, I don't care for that one so much or, you know, because he was just such a technical player and he wanted to do like everything, like, like I say, just kind of transcendent music at the time. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. He was like, and he said, even he's like, I have a hard time recognizing like a good radio hook. You know, that's kind of why he mocks it and like, you know, Spirit of Radio and other things like that. Cause he just didn't get it. You know, but that, that's so fucking cool. No, no, because I mean, you're talking about people that just like think on a different musical wavelength than other people that were just like ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. I heard some guy on a radio years ago talking about how Rush was from the future. And they were from the year 2112 <laughs> and they came back <laughs> yeah. from way in the future to come back and try to save rock and roll because they saw it going in like a bad direction. Yeah. You know, I'm not really much of a conspiracy guy, but holy shit, do I agree <laughs> with that? <laughs> mm, mm, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of progression and things moving on and progressing, what are you guys working on in practice? Are you just kind of, are you polishing up? Are you getting ready for that day that the plague breaks and you can get out there and play? Or are you, are you like working on new shit or, or, or what are you doing? Uh, well, I mean, currently, as of this very, very moment, uh, we're polishing up to play that show with the Riot Room guys. Yeah. Um, we, got a, we have a 13 song set list that we're going to do. A um, few of the songs we've only done live one other time, which I told you we played in Arkansas. And 
Yeah. Uh, and we've mm-hmm. been a little bit dormant, haven't been able to do anything. So we are going to play that show, that fundraiser, to help out our buddies Dallas and Tim. It's going to be a great time. Cool. And uh, other than that, we've just kind of been tossing around the idea of like, hey, should we just like write another album or what? Because we have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Um, we have things that we want to do, but we simply cannot do them. Yeah. So I'm thinking that we're just going to start writing again, I suppose. That's kind of the idea in the air right now. Yeah. You there? I think I lost you. So <laughs> back to where we were. I don't know. We had so many connections. Justin, thanks for sticking in there with me, man. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm like, I appreciate I it. I told you, you know, <clears throat> during the, uh, gremlin intermission i'm really enjoying this i'm like I, I love talking to you guys i really do well good well you know what i had one more question for you uh that i just thought of yeah absolutely man let's hear it your name uh stage name or just a fortunately cool name for a death metal guitar player uh, uh no i don't have a stage name no <laughs> you don't have <laughs> no. A stage name. no my name is justin Payne. yes legal my full-on legal name Right on. So you just got blessed with just in pain. All right. <laughs> I had so many people tell me growing up, like you should, you should form a band called Just in just Pain. Just in Pain. And I was like, man, like, no, obviously never did it, but no, nah, that's right. right. Nope, nope. Full on legal name, guaranteed. <laughs> right on. Well, it worked out for you, you know, in the genre again and everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a cool name, you know. It really is. Yep, you could be stuck with something like John. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody yells that across a crowded room. Nobody turns their head. No, no, John is a good name, especially for a good guy like yourself, my man. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So I was, uh, as we were talking earlier, I, I bought your record. Now, I bought your record, the newest one, um, off of Bandcamp. Uh, where should people go? To get your record. It depends if they want it digitally or if they want an actual physical copy. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, in the world that we live in now, it's easiest to buy things on the internet. But if you want physical copies, you can always hit up unmercifulmusic.com, okay. which will take you directly to uh, our site called Onstage Merch. So mm-hmm. Clint, Clint put together, it's not even necessarily a sister company. It's the same thing as Reliant Apparel, which is Clint's company, which I'm, oh, okay. an, I'm an employee at. And uh-huh. um, it will take you right to Onstage Merch, which Onstage Merch is a really cool entity because we offer significant discounts to working artists, whether it be okay. musicians, artists, um, you know, comedians, whatever. If you are a working entertainer, you get a significant discount if you buy merchandise through us. Mm. You know, not necessarily like unmerciful merchandise. Like if you're going to buy a shirt or a vinyl or a CD or whatever it might be, but if you were going to have merchandising made, like then, something made, yeah, yeah, like like you know, like shirts, uh, panties, masks, whatever it might be, uh-huh. um, you get a good, good, significant discount through us because we get it. You know, we we, we understand. It's difficult in this industry, especially now in the last, you know, several months, you know, merchandising is one way that people can make actual money at right, as, right. as a living entertainer. 
Yeah, I keep I keep asking people that I'm like, you know, who are, who are trying to struggle through this and what's going on right now. And I'm just like, how's the best way to like benefit you if if somebody digs your shit and somebody really likes your music, say, you know, and they've already got your album or whatever, you know, do we buy merch? Do we do we pay for a, a live stream show? What's the you know, what's the best way that benefits you the most directly? So, you know, that's important for people to know. Um, I think cause that's, I think that's the spirit of a lot of people. They just want to give back in whatever way they can. Uh, but I'm in the market, man. I'm a, we've got some t-shirts. We got to get, get made. Um, I don't know if you saw my, uh, social media, but like, uh, uh, seven black, uh, from headlight rivals there in Kansas has been designing like a logo for us and just, just like in his spare time for shits and giggles. And uh, I got to get a t-shirt made out of it. So. But I tried the online thing, you know, where you upload the image and it's just it, it, just the border on it and everything. I'm just like, nah, it doesn't look good. Yeah, I really want to get this actually screen printed. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, with that said, we offer those services as well. We have between Clint and Julian and Chelsea, our coworkers, we have some of uh-huh. the best artists you can possibly imagine. And I, I'm, I'm not I'm not pumping that up by any means. They are that good. Right. Cool. You have a if cool. you have a one-off shirt that you want to get made, they will crop mm-hmm. out anything you need. They will make it look as detailed as possible, and some of the stuff we make is a uh, absolute top-notch. We don't call it quality; we call it premium because it's that good. Cool. Again, I'm not trying to like pump our business up, but I'm saying that we have people that are that good. Right. It looks like a legit shop, man. It looks really cool. I checked out the website for it and everything. I'm like, mm, I might have to. If it, you know, we aren't all locked down, but we'll talk, we'll talk, get this, <laughs> get the same round. Cause I was like, I yeah. absolutely have to make seven does some amazing artwork and kind of tattoo type, uh, work. And he's going to do our like Danny McCandy logo. It looks fucking great, but I just, I don't want to do it a disservice by just uploading it to some website, you know, I, and plus I want to help people out who are screen printing and shit like that. So yeah, most definitely. It's a dying art, man. Yeah. Any other? Oh, you got the you got the upcoming benefit, man. I'm excited for you. I hope everything goes great. Um, things got to break loose here. I mean, we, we got to do something. We've got to figure out how to do this in this pandemic, so like dudes like you can stay alive, you know, and, and keep doing what you're doing. And I think there's a way to do it right. I think the way that a lot of people are doing it is doing it right, as long as they're not like flipping off the man and <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Saying we're going to try to make people sick or whatever, you know, that's obviously egregious, but. Well, yeah, most definitely. And that's why, you know, after the Gorman guys, you know, love those guys to death, they did it right. Mm-hmm. And we decided that right. we were going to try to do it right as well. Um, even this, uh, this coming uh, tomorrow, our, our buddies from Bleed the Victim, amazing band, amazing guys, they're doing a mm-hmm. benefit as well to Riot Room tomorrow night. So if, if anyone, they may not hear this until after the show is over with, but right. Bleed the victim. Just the, the sickest bunch of fucking guys. These guys are so, so good. If anyone is able to make it out there tomorrow night, right room, like a capacity of 40 people, you know, distancing mask, all that yeah. stuff required. Um, they, they're doing a benefit. And then we are doing one more as, uh, as of October 9th, you know, yeah, next, man. Next, I mean, next, I think next, that's next it. Yeah, just make the effort. 
you know, um, that's that's the thing. Try to keep people safe. And I, I mean, that's that's what you can do. And I think there's a way to do it. And uh, yeah, I, I'll definitely, and I, I can plug that shit too. I'll, I'll plug it on my social media to everybody check out that show if they can. Um, you know, if you feel safe, feel comfortable doing it. And I'll definitely check out Bleed the Victim and uh, Riot Room. Man, shout out to them. The Great Kansas City Club. Oh, dude. Dallas and Tim. Oh, nothing but absolute love. Like, you know, those guys, us as a Topeka band, those guys Mm -hmm. gave us such a huge platform and have for so many years. I have nothing but absolute, nothing but love and respect to those guys because they're amazing. Like, they're great guys. I mean, where else would you get to see, you know, suffocation on tour with Dave Colross? Right. Because that's a very rare thing. Uh-huh. And uh, see them play, you know, Devoid of Truth live while you're sitting on a little bar next to the stage. And right. these, guys are, <laughs> these guys are superstars, man. I right. remember seeing, seeing that happen here a number of years back. And I have autographed poster from that show. And Jeremy and I looked at each other when I heard that drum roll start. We're like, holy shit, this is happening. <laughs> right. And yeah. like, like, Dave does not tour with Suffocation very much. You know, yeah. he did the Spies the Sun EP, which is mm-hmm. like unbelievably like the EP that was like the album that crushed everything at that point. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and I saw them, met them all, hung out with them at that point. Like, like Dallas and Tim gave us that. They gave yeah. us that, John. Right. Yeah, and I mean, and and we've got to, I mean, we've got to keep venues like that going. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, even punk rock clubs like Davies and shit like that. It's so unfortunate that they had that fire and everything, but we got to do something. We got to do something. Yeah, and I, I think you're yeah. onto it. I think you guys are onto it, and I think everybody else is onto it. Just doing it the right way. I mean, we we've had so many people on the show and stuff who are just like overly apologetic about you know i've got to do something and i can't we're all six feet apart and we're doing driveway shows or you know or whatever and it's like you know it's fine you know i mean we've got to to a certain extent try uh to do something because it's it's an industry that's it's gonna die if we don't yeah it's it's going to it's totally unsustainable any other way and we've got to figure out a way to do it and you know if if the way i look at it if, if people are selling fucking nachos people can sell rock and roll and that's what we need to do. So I think that's a good point to wrap it up, man. Um, I'm just really afraid of the fucking gremlins moving through and <laughs> killing us again. <laughs> but Justin, man, we'd love to have you back on sometime just to bullshit, you know, especially when the plague breaks and, and, you know, things are back to somewhat normal. I don't know if they ever will be, but uh, we'll get somewhere. And as long as uh, people like you are working on it, uh, people like us are working on it, we'll get somewhere. Yeah. Damn right, my man. You're damn right. So, peace, love, and understanding. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Undetermined the Podcast. You've been listening to uh, uh, Justin Payne joining us from Unmerciful. If you do not have the new album, you are a sad sack and you need to buy that motherfucker because it's great. Anything else you want to plug or anything else you want to mention? Just support one another and be good to one another, I suppose. Yes. You know, be good to one another, be good to yourselves. And I guess we'll see one another when this world gets back to normal. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I tell you what, I owe a lot of people up that way some beers. <laughs> it's like, told man, I was like, hey, we've, you know, talked to so many bands out there. You're just like, I have to just bring a keg. I owe so many people up there a beer. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so we're adding you to the list, man. 
thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. it, it we had a great Dude. time. Thank you, John. And oh, yeah. hey, we're going to get back to another episode where me and you and Matt as well can talk yeah. about Rush. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We should just have like a Rush dedicated episode, I think. I'm it, we can get Clint on this too because he will he's he's the, he's the guy. All right. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Dude, John, thank you so much for calling me. And uh thank you Matt for being the person you are and what you do even though you had to go to work. My spirit is with you, my man. Yeah, absolutely. We're always in that. All right, guys. Have a good night. All right. All right.